Welcome to the Daily Bolster. Each day we welcome transformational executives to share their real-world experiences and practical advice about scaling yourself, your team, and your business. Welcome to the Daily Bolster. I'm Matt Blumberg, co-founder and CEO of Bolster, and I am here today to go in deep with Fran Hauser. Fran is a longtime friend of mine. She, were on, she and I were on an executive team together a very long time ago. I won't say how long. Um, Fran is an author. Uh, she is a keynote speaker. She's a startup investor and CEO advisor. Uh, she's a longtime executive. She is passionate about leveling the playing field for women. And I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Welcome, Fran. Hi, Matt. It's so great to be here. So I would love for you to start with just a couple of minutes of kind of the arc of your career, because your career is so interesting to me. You started out as an accountant, uh, you know, a division controller at Coca-Cola, pivot to tech, pivot to investing and advising and speaking and writing. You've kind of, it feels like you've done it all. Uh, so I'd love for you to sort of walk through a couple of highlights and then we can talk about what you're doing now. Yeah, yeah, it's, you know, so many pivots and a very long career. Um, I do want to say though, I, I started out in accounting because when I was younger, I was basically the bookkeeper for my dad and my mom. You know, they they are both Italian immigrants. My dad's a stonemason. My mom is a tailor. Um, and I was doing invoicing for my dad's business when I was in first grade. So like accounting is literally in first like, grade, in first grade, like no joke, like first grade, I was doing invoices. Like his invoices went out with crayon. Voices <laughs> went out with crayon. So, <laughs> so literally it's like all I knew, you know, I grew up in this immigrant family, first in my family to go to college. I had no network. I had no mentors. Um, so I just kind of had to figure it out on my own. And I'm like, all right, I'll do accounting. That's what I know. And I have to say, like starting out in public accounting and then going to work for Coca-Cola, you know, and I ended up running um, the finance division for uh, for New York, for the New York office. Um, it's so great that I have that foundation and that background, because I think it just made me a much stronger business person. You know, just the fact that I, I know the ins and outs of financials and cash flow. And Absolutely. Right. I mean, it's one of the things anytime we're um, advising a CEO who's doing a board search or an executive search, we say one of the things is you have to hire a good corporate athlete. And it doesn't matter what function the person's in, they have to be able to read a PL and a balance sheet. You know, I think it also just gave me more credibility later on in my career when I was in more like general management roles, you know, whether it was Movie Phone, AOL, Time Inc., where I was running these large groups and we were asking for money. We were asking for investment to, to, you know, launch people.com to launch apps on the iPhone. I think it just, you know, when I was talking to the CFO or the CEO or the, our chief legal officer, like they knew that I had that background. I wasn't just like the creative person, you know, so actually, now, can, can I ask you the sort of charged question around that, which is, do you think it was extra helpful because you were a woman? Do I, uh, do I think it was extra helpful because I was a woman? Right. I mean, you grew up in the executive ranks, you know, at a time when it was still a little difficult. I mean, it's still difficult today, but even more difficult. Yes. De yes. It was definitely difficult. And I, I feel like the generation that was ahead of me, um, it was, they were just much more competitive. I feel like women in that generation were much more competitive because there were fewer, fewer positions available at the top. Whereas I feel like my generation, it got a little bit easier. And now, of course, 
you know, for the next generations, it's, it's even easier. I feel like we're more collaborative. We're more supportive of each other. You know, we're more helpful. Um, I think what helped me get the investment dollars was my fi financial acumen, tr truthfully, um, and my leadership style, you know, and that's a lot of what I write about in the myth of the nice girl. Like the fact that, you know, I've always brought kindness and warmth and compassion to work. And that really allowed me to develop strong relationships with people. Um, but I'm, but I've never been like a pushover or a people pleaser. Right. So like the whole idea of that book is you can be both nice and strong. And that's, that has been my leadership style. And I think that, that also really helped me. Yeah. So, all right. So you're working at Coke, you're a division controller, you're, you know, head of accounting at the New York office. You then joined Movie Phone, uh, where you and I were on the executive team together. And then after Movie Phone got acquired by AOL, what were your few steps within the AOL Time Warner Time Empire? Yeah, which by the way, like working with you at Movie Phone, Matt, I mean, the fact that we went through that whole due diligence process together when AOL was acquiring us, I mean, that was an incredible experience. It was, yeah. I really think about that as like one of the highlights of, of my career. Yeah, that was a crazy couple of months crazy couple of months, um, but, but really amazing. And yeah, so after Movie Phone was acquired by AOL and then AOL and Time Warner merged um, and Time Inc. was one of the Time Warner divisions, um, they were looking for someone to kind of be a liaison between the AOL division and the Time Inc. division because the, the senior management teams could barely speak to each other. They just did not- They, they didn't speak the same language. They didn't speak the same language at all. So. They were, they were looking for somebody to go over and really kind of help bring the two divisions together, create products using AOL's tech and Time Inc's content. Um, and that's the role that I, that I moved into. And I have to say it was like a really scary move for me because I was so in awe of all of those brands of time and fortune and people. These are brands that I grew up with that like the idea that I was going to be working with these brands, like I actually was very nervous about going for that job. It took a male co colleague of mine, Mark Golan, um, to say, of course, you're perfect for this job. I was so focused on the fact that I didn't have magazine publishing experience. Um, and he was like, but you've got the digital experience and you're great at building bridges and you're creative. And So he was a great ally for me, you know, at that time. And I'm so glad I went for that job because I ended up working there for 10 years. And, right, and you ended up running people, right? Yeah, I ended up, so I ended up running the digital division of people. And then ultimately I ran digital for the whole company, you know, for all those brands. Right. And it was fun because I was the innovator, you know, like I, I was the one that was like focusing on how do we take all of this incredible content and create digital products using that content, whether it was websites or apps or like when the iPad came out, you know, like really thinking about how, how does this content manifest itself in a, in a digital world? And it was a lot of convincing people because there were a lot of legacy print people that didn't want to break news on people.com. They wanted to wait until the magazine came out, right? So it was, it was a lot of, of kind of, you know, convincing people that the internet was here to stay you know, and here's how, here's some different ways that we could respond to that. So it was just such an exciting time. Yeah, for sure. And then, okay, so you finish up your many years at Movie Phone, Time Warner, AOL Time, and you became a venture capitalist. Yeah. So that, so that really came from the fact that I realized the thing that I love the most about my job 
at Time Inc., like towards the end, was that I spent a lot of time meeting with startup founders, you know, because I was running digital, you know, I was meeting with like the Rent the Runway founders and Foursquare and Flipboard and, you know, all of these digital platforms, the skim. Um, And, you know, I was meeting with them from the standpoint of, are there ways for us to partner? Um, But ultimately what ended up happening was I ended up becoming an informal advisor to a lot of these founders. And in some cases, a formal advisor. And it was really like one day I had coffee with Soraya Darby. I don't know if you know Soraya. Mm-hmm. Soraya was the first social media person at the New York Times. Ah. And then she went on to found a company. And now she's a VC. She runs a fund called Trail Mix Ventures. And at the time, she was a founder. And she said to me, I, she said, Fran, I have so many female friends in New York City who want to launch businesses but when they look up, they don't see any female investors, advisors, or mentors. And you would be perfect for this. Like, this is what you should be doing next. Um, and it was such a powerful, like, impactful conversation. And that, and that's also really when I learned that, you know, only 2% of funding goes to women. And so I thought, wow, this is something like, maybe I could start doing this on the side at Time Inc. Um, just to see, you know, if I enjoy it and if I'm good at it. And that's what I did. And I did that for a couple of years and I had to run every investment I made by corporate, of right. course. That must, that must not have been easy. <laughs> no, and I'll tell you the one that got away was I would have been one of the first investors in Rent the Runway. But, um, really? they, but, but our chief legal counsel was worried that it would be a conflict with InStyle. Like what if InStyle wanted to acquire Rent the Runway someday? You know, yada, yada. So, um, but doing that, as a side hustle, I think was a really smart way for me to realize that, okay, I really like this. And my kids were young. They were three years old, 18 months old. So I thought, what if I go off and I do this? And I, I, this is something that I can do on my own. I'd be, you know, running my own practice. I'd have the flexibility. Um, And I, so I left in 2014, it's been almost 10 years and I've invested in over 30 female founded companies um, at this, at this point. Um, and I'm a happy investor in a few VC funds like yours too, I want to say. Um, so no, it's, it's been an incredible experience and it also gave me the capacity and the bandwidth to write my books. I've, I'd always wanted to be an author, but I, it was hard for me to do that while I was at time. It's hard. It's definitely hard. Let me ask you a question before we talk about your books. Did you ever get the itch to be an entrepreneur? Yes, many times. And you know, it's, it's, it's funny because in a way now I kind of feel like I am an entrepreneur. I mean, you are, right? You, right. Yeah. you started investing on your own. You, you're an author. But did you ever get the itch to like start a company? Start you know, a company. VC backed. Uh, yes. You know, yes. Every once in a while. I still do. Like every once in a while. But it's got to be the right product. And it, you know, needs to be something that, you know, is really scalable. And, you know, right before COVID, I wanted to open up a bookstore, the opposite of scalable. You know what I mean? That would have been more so, like something that I'd be doing for the community. So I don't know, yeah. Jeff, Be- Jeff Bezos wanted to open a bookstore too. He found it pretty scalable. <laughs> there you go. So you never know, but you know, it, it could still happen. Who knows? Who knows, Matt? So what do you love most about what you do, right? You do a bunch of things, right? You're investing, advising, you're writing, you're speaking. Like what, what gets you like jumping out of bed in the morning? I mean, I have to say, I love what I do. Like I really honestly do. I look forward to sitting at my desk and working, you know, whether it's like writing my newsletter or helping a founder, you know, who's like really stuck and like struggling 
Um, or it's like later this afternoon, I'm doing a talk for the women in, in the air force. Like it's, I love, I know I, I love, I've done Matt, I've done over 200 talks since the myth of the nice girl came out five years ago. And that was unexpected. I didn't think that that book would lead to a speaking practice. Um, but what I really love about, about my career and my, my work right now is this sort of like multi-hyphenate aspect to it. You know, like the fact that I can decide like who I want to work with, what projects I want to work on, what gets me excited. I have to say like over the last couple of years, the thing that's really been getting me excited is helping aspiring authors launch their books. So that's something that I've been doing more of this like nonfiction book development coaching. Um, Good for you because usually people ask me for advice about writing books and I tell them not to do it. I know. Well, I have to tell you, I mean, you know this, you know, this as an author, it takes so much discipline. And that's why I find 95% of people end up not doing it, you know, once they realize how much. So so I would love to ask you about your second book. So you talked a little bit already about the myth of the nice girl, which is an amazing book. There are many things that are great about that, but there's some things that are even more interesting about your second book. First of all, because it's not a book book, it's a workbook. Mm -hmm. Um, and second of all, you did it on your own. You didn't go yeah. back to a publisher. So talk a little bit about that. First yeah. of all, so so, talk about what it is. Yeah, so the book, it's, it's a guided workbook for women who, um, who are feeling stuck or maybe they're in transition or they just want to love their career a little bit more. Like it's just not working for them. And the idea really came to me during COVID. It was, I remember reading an article about how many millions of women were leaving the workforce and how they were feeling burnt out. Um, And I thought, gosh, it would be so great to create like a beautiful guided workbook that could be helpful to these women. And I wanted to get it out quickly, like in a year, which is why I did not go the traditional publishing route. I worked with a hybrid publisher. I worked with a collective book studio. What is that? What does a hybrid publisher mean? So a hybrid publisher, um, basically the way that it works is you're a partner with them. So you're investing in the book. So like, you know, with the traditional publisher, they pay you, they pay you in advance, right? And then you get royalties. With a hybrid publisher, you're both investing in this together. And then as an author, you own the IP and you're getting, you know, 50%, 60% of the profits as opposed to like- As opposed to 10 or 15 or 20, right? It's really, you're really, going back to your your comment about being an entrepreneur. That's why I kind of feel like with this book, you know, it is very entrepreneurial. Yeah. Um, but when I met Angela Engel, who runs the Collective Book Studio, I said to her, can we do this in a year? Could we get this out? She's like, if you could write it in six weeks, we can get it out. I'm like, okay. So if I got gone the traditional publishing around that, you know, it would have been years, 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 years. And I just felt like the topic was so timely and so important. And it's been kind of cool because now I own all the illustrations in the book, like, you know, whether it's merch or I might do like a guided, like a journal, more like a journal type companion yeah. piece to this. It's very easy to do when you own the IP. For sure. And then what are, what are a couple of things that are in it? So you, the concept of a workbook, like walk, walk us through, walk me through, what are one or two things that the workbook yeah. guides its reader, its use? Do you call them readers or users or? I know it's, yeah. it's, I know it's readers, but you are really doing the book. Yeah. It's a lot of exercises. It's writing prompts. It's very, you know, creative. Like one of the exercises that I really love is um, I, I ask the reader to basically like look at their calendar for the last few months and pick out um, the meetings or the events that put a smile on their face. Like, so these, these are things that they really enjoy doing. And then 
to dig a little deeper to understand like what was it about that experience that was so fulfilling you know was it the skills that you were using was it the people that you were working with was it the type of problem you were solving because I feel like often we're in this like autopilot mode and we're just like doing 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 as opposed to taking a step back and really reflecting on what's working for you in your current role and is there a way for you to do more of that kind of like what I did at Time Inc when I realized that I love meeting with startup founders like how can I you know how can I do more of that reflection is such a powerful tool and powerful practice and it's something that I think is is a really hard discipline to get uh, you know, to just get embedded in your operating mm -hmm. system. Well, because it goes back to like, how do you find, <laughs> the time, right? It's making the time for it. And it's so critical, like even just to take, you know, a few minutes every day to reflect, because I know how easy it is to just get into that autopilot mode and go through your to-do list and be checking things off. Um, and you learn so much through, through reflecting. Yeah, you certainly do. So, uh, so you said you have uh, 30 investments or more than 30 investments in female-led companies. What are a couple of challenges that you see that are sort of common to those founders, to those entrepreneurs, which might also be common to male founders or yeah. male founders of color, um, but might be more, um, you know, more scoped to um, female founders who are trying to juggle family a little bit more? Yeah, well, look, I, I think the, the, the top challenge um, always, and this is what I've seen over the last 10 years, is access to the right people fundraising. You know, I just, I feel like they, they just have a much harder time getting that access, which is why I feel like a lot of what I do is open doors and, you know, connect them with people who could be the right partners for them, you know, the right investment partners. So I think, I think access for sure. And the other one I see is, is burnout. Like I just, it's what you said, the, the, this like the balancing and the managing of all of the things and, you know, not building in that like time to just take care of themselves. You know, like I, I can't tell you how much time I spend with founders, like asking them, are you sleeping? Like, are you getting enough sleep at night? Right. Like you need to get your seven hours of sleep. You're just, you're going to be so much more productive yeah. you know, being up until one o'clock in the morning, like trying to get whatever it is done. So um, I think that that's another thing that I find myself talking to founders a lot about. And sometimes they need that, that nudge. And if they get it from an investor, um, I just think they're more likely to listen to it, you know, because it's like me as an investor telling you like, no, you need to take some time to take care of yourself. Yeah, no, right. Because few uh, few people are going to give them that advice. Right. right? I get it at home or from a yeah. friend. Yes. Um, but when it's somebody who's invested in their business saying, giving them permission. Very to powerful. Yeah. All right. Here's my last question for you. If you could go back and give six-year-old Fran oh. some advice, and I'm, I'm like, I'm literally picturing you here, like sitting at like a little white table, getting your father's invoices out. Um, if you could go back and give six-year-old Fran life advice, business advice, what would it be? Yeah, I think I I was so shy as a as a child, and even I would say going into like the early part of my career, um, I was always really afraid like to speak up in meetings. Um, and I talk about this a lot, you know, in the myth of the nice girl, like I, I always had this sort of like imposter syndrome. I think the, the, 
it goes back to like first generation to go to college, like not having access, you know, to the right people when I was like at that age. Um, I think that really affected my confidence. And um, it's something that when I talk to young girls today, like I, I always encourage them to raise their hand and to not worry about like, don't overthink what you're going to say because you want it to come out perfectly because that's what we do. We ruminate. I swear it just happened. It just happened at a, a women's event that I spoke at last week. Um, a room full of women, there were two men. And when it came time for Q&A, the two men raised their hands right away. And my sister was in the audience and she, she literally said to me afterwards, she goes, Fran, I had a question that I wanted to ask, but I was overthinking how to word it. And she never asked the question. So my advice would be like, don't overthink. It's okay. Like speak from your heart. Right. And it's, it's, it's going to be fine. People need to hear your voice. It's, I mean, it's, you know, it was kind of Sheryl Sandberg's seminal book, right. That kicked off a lot of the contemporary thinking around this lean in, lean in, don't yep. sit in the back row. Yep. That's right. Raise your hand, speak up. Fran, thank you for being here. It's so inspiring to me every time I talk to you um, about the work you're doing and your philosophy and how you're hopefully training dozens and dozens of, uh, of new founders and entrepreneurs. Yeah. Thank you, Matt, so much. I love chatting with you. You're the talk best. You thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Bolster, the new way to find the right executives. We supercharge startup growth by matching CEOs with transformational executives, mentors, and board members without the hassle of traditional talent sourcing. Start searching for free at bolster.com.